0: We've been dealing with that like quite a basic issue. The last we've only had, I think, two sessions. We've been dealing with a basic, like a basic of all basics. And we began by confronting something which is, from the human point of view, our limitation as rational beings to fathom a experience which doesn't comply with the idea of cause and effect. And that experience is actually existence itself, because whether you're on the religious or the atheistic spectrum, when asked how the world began, you're going to get to a point where you have to recognize there's something that you can't grasp with your brain, which its most basic function is that of cause and effect. And there's quite simply, if you think the world was begun with a creator, you can ask yourself, so what happened before? Well, there was a greater, and who created the greater? And I said, what do you mean? No one created the greater. The greater was always there. He's infinite. And we can't compute that. But even if you're on the side of the the atheist, and you ask, well, how'd the world began? And they'll answer you, the world, the Big Bang, or what was before Big Bang? Well, there were all these atoms in the universe, which in a very uh, productive climate kind of conspired to Big Bang. So you say, okay, well, what happened before? Who made the atoms? Where did the atoms come from? So well, they're always there. In other words, they're infinite. So you get you get them basted with the same problem, whether you're, it doesn't really matter about your religious affiliation or not. It's a human problem that the nature of existence is a mystery. It is a mystery. Not that it's a mystery we can resolve. It's a mystery we can never resolve given the limited faculties that we possess and the limitation of our faculties are the fact that we can only intellectually process certain logical constructs. The most fundamental being that, of course, in effect. And therefore, when exploring the idea of godliness, uh, which is the being that's behind rationality, we really can say or do or comprehend nothing. So once we, let's say, are on the path of spirituality, the being we're trying to connect to is the being that has no point of access to us as human beings. We can't get anything about him. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because every single thing that we know is, is, is not what he is, and everything that he is is unknowable to us. So we're trapped. You follow. I know, I know that, that sounded rather highfalutin, but that's the, that's just the presentation. Which means as follows. When we speak about religious service and religious observance and all this religious stuff, there's really a massive problem with it. Like, they what, what are we doing? Like, who are we relating to? And then we fall into a problem of creating instead of man in the image of God, but God in the image of man. So I can't relate to something that my brain can't construct. So I have to, almost create a fictitious figure that I can now call God and then relate to. But that could be a anti-God experience. Because if I believe that God is a really nice guy in the sky and he really looks after me and he's behind me and he supports me and he's, he's the man. He's the man. So what I've done is I've shrunk God to human proportions but just made them superhuman. Like he's human but he's just like, Human on steroids. Humans can see far. He can see from one side of the world to the other. Humans can experience the passage of time. He can see the passage of time predicted both backwards and forwards. So he's like, he's human, but human on steroids. And then if I do that, essentially I've defeated the idea of the, the omniscient creator that is the basic... Fundamental premise of all religious service and I've shrunk him into a god. Like those that like occupied the clouds above the pantheon and, and the oaks in, you know, the, the oaks in Scandinavia. Thor, Thor, the boys. Odin, the boys. The oaks. The oaks. So you understand, so we have a problem now. I'm just opening up the problem. And people don't realize, but this is one of the reasons why the study of mysticism was discouraged by two very mature, learned people. Because it's so easy to get this wrong. It's so easy to formulate an image of God that then just becomes an extension of my human experience. And therefore creates a limitation which is an inherently antif- antithetical mechanism of relating to something which cannot be related to. That's the basic problem that we're struggling with. We're in a system where we're told that the point is to connect to God and there's no way that we can do that seemingly without relying on our human experience and the second we begin to rely on our human experience, we get trapped in a, in a, in a structural, uh, projection of our inner world that we will then call God and that defeats what the whole point is. The problem is compounded by our psychological backgrounds. Since our experience of creative forces in our life often boil down to the way that our parents interact with us, we not only project an image of God in order to make it relatable and comprehensible, but very often the particular image that we choose is intertwined with our experience of our parental, early parental interactions, even though very often this is subconscious. So a person, you may ask a person, well, how do you feel about God? And they say, well, he's quite scary because he's like, he's always after me. And you would say, well, tell me how your parents treated you. Well, they were very strict and disciplinarian. And then you ask someone else about how they feel about God and they'll say, amazing, like so accepting, so loving and so tolerant. You say, well, how are your parents? And they say, they, they, say they really gave me everything I wanted. And then you recognize that very sadly, your protection of God has been conditioned by your early experiences of a creative force who your parents made you and then they guided you and they gave you everything you've got in a way that they, in their particular parental parenting style, chose and that becomes your internalized perception of what God is, which is, again, just a projection. So how do we really connect to this reality called the Boreola? It seems an inaccessible point. That's, that's our starting point when we speak about Elul. And, You've got a One second, what are you talking about? What is this? And very few people like break it down to this fundamental level and they just start, you know, on rung 972 and not recognizing that, hey mate, you know, this, this ladder has a first rung as well. The problem. And therefore when the Ramchal, when Moshe Khan begins derek Hashem, he defines God. Because another point we made was that you can't believe in something you can't define. So let's define God, the Hashem. And he defines him in the following way Motsu Rishon, he's a first, a primary cause, Kadmoin always was, for always will be, Koma and He brings into being, brought into being, and brings into being everything that reality is comprised of. So our definition of God is really very ethereal. It's very, not personalized. It's, He's the whole katoot. In other words, He's everything. He makes the sun and the moon. Not that He made the sun and the moon and then went off chilling. That every... Aspect of our cosmos has an energetic soul that drives it, whether it be the table or the sun. Just like the table is right now majority open space. This table, Ben, feels pretty solid, right? What's the, what's the major component of this table? Air. Emptiness. Emptiness or air, emptiness. But there's a lot of molecular movement, which is not visible to the eye, that's giving us an experience of the table as solid. But really the table is just energy. Energy manifests in this particular form. So, for want of a better analogy, the energy that's driving this table to be right now, we call that the Barola. We call that that's what we call Hashem. And everything in our world has an energetic driving force, And that driving force is the Bore Olam, whether it be the table or bookshelves and everything combined. So underneath this world is this power. It's almost the on switch, the electricity that gives the movement to everything around us. And if you unplug the switch, everything just absolutely disappears into nothingness. So my definition of the Bore Olam is he always was, he always was, will be, and he is the creator in the present as well as in the past, and he's making this whole thing happen. And were he for a second to withdraw, so reality, the universe, everything, in one millisecond would disappear into nothingness. Now that idea is so large and so grand, it's very difficult to relate to. But it's a fascinating definition of the creator and so much larger than the big guy in the sky that, you know, gives me a tip if I do a mitzvah. Oh, nice, nice work, boy. Well done. You with me? Yes, Ben. What, Ben? Tell me, Ben. You're saying that like, <coughs> like
1: at the comics on the table, there's like all the molecules, whatever, that are constantly moving. And it's like, looks solid to us. That, you think what causes them to move is energy. So is like the spiritual energy that manifests in the physical or is it just like that? Well, and under, that, 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 that scientific understanding of like those molecules moving for energy
0: is actually what a shem is. No, there's nothing that a is, but that, that you see that the world has an energetic soul as it were. That the world is not a static thing. It has a constant input. There's a constant input of energy in every single thing that we experience in the created world. So I'm just drawing that as an analogy to just like we can relate on a um, from a scientific perspective to the nat- notion that even though we perceive the world as things are static, they're really always in movement. Nothing really stops moving even for a millisecond, and the thing that is moving is this energy that drives the whole world and everything. area my words, your head. The tree outside, all it is, is just a different manifest, manifestation of a kind of energy, and the origin of all that energy, in all its different forms, is our definition of Hashem. So, as
1: I'm saying, how is just
0: our definition of
1: Hashem is a completely spiritual being, and
0: our definition of energy is just... well. One, one thing before. before you include me in you, your, our. <laughs> I mean, okay. Just reminds me of the story, sorry, sorry. story then. Okay, well, you remember? Um, yeah, I got it. You, you, no, let me tell the story, okay? I'm gonna tell the story. <laughs> so there's uh, the Lone Ranger. He's galloping uh, along the plains. So he's got his faithful Native American helper. And they're galloping, galloping, galloping. And then all of a sudden they look behind and they've being surrounded by the Apache Indian tribe. And they don't know where they're gonna go. And uh, the chief issues the war cry. And the poised, draw the arrows ready to shoot but then the chase begins and he takes off on his stallion and he brilliant rider along with his helper they literally negotiate between ravines and crannies until eventually they recognize that they've come to a dead end and they stop they dead in their tracks and it's the Lone Ranger and his Native American companion and they look around as the Panty move into this encircled conclave and they take the arrows and they draw them ready to shoot and use him as their pincushion for the arrows. And the Lone Ranger turns to his faithful companion and says, it looks like we're in big trouble. <laughs> to which his companion replies and says, who's we, Belface? <laughs> 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 Joke, which is funny for me, um, <laughs> it means at the last, at the last, at the last moment, he dropped his allegiance, and went over to the other side, that's the exception, yeah. okay, so, so one second, time. so, so you're, I've just given you a definition of, on this. oh, okay, well it's projected, come on, yes. let's go for it, go, 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 spiritual yeah. right. and you're saying that the manifest of
1: energy everything that exists is God's manifestation in this world.
0: Right. Is one of the ways we see his, see his presence in this world is through that, yes. So
1: you're saying the source of, let's say, physical energy is a spiritual thing? Sure. that what Okay.
0: I'm asking. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm okay. God is spiritual, I wasn't laying that up. I mean, me. I don't want to use the word spiritual. Hashem is the one that brings into existence and brought into existence everything that's in existence.
1: I'm saying like it's
0: you're saying that's a physical thing. Energy is physical. Don't get caught up in, in in physical and spiritual. Just forget those forget those words. Let's talk about the words he uses. Let me take you just gently, lift you out of your little conceptual cradle and open you up to the world. And here we have a world which is which is we're experiencing something. The thing that we're experiencing has an ongoing energetic input. We associate that ongoing energetic input with a powerful being that made, made, and is making this happen. It's a being. It's not just. It's not just self-generated. It has an origin. There's something that's making it happen. It's not just happening by itself. So it's it's just a... switch. Okay, so. The, the, I want you to, it's a different paradigm. You, you're caught in the paradigm. And in your paradigm, there's spiritual and physical, and they go together, so we have to have this meeting point where no, they can no, go. I get it, I get okay, it. good. So they yeah, dis- I
1: was saying, at what point does it change from like, shame to like,
0: manifest? Like... Good question. I don't know. Let's, let's, we're just in the early stages and you, you know, I think you, you're offside. Oh, Did thanks. you want to ask something Adam? Are Straight. you sure? You're stretching, you're just stretching. Okay. Good. Okay. Rob, so, sorry. What? Go on then, go.
1: On. Um, if we, you said earlier that we have to be very careful not to give God, like, you said like we, did. sometimes we view God as the way we view our
0: parents or the we, pr- with we project an image because we want to relate to something. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm yeah. not giving you a solution. I'm saying, well, what's the alternative? Again, if you want to have a relation with Hashem, so this kind of force in the creation is so anonymous. So depersonalized, What well, quite a relationship with that. I mean it's like, well what kind of a relationship do you have with the sun? What do you mean? What kind of relationship? It just, it's a thing there. But like, then why
1: does the, like, why does, I don't know, why does Toy the sun? Oh, of, does... so
0: one second, so now you're saying, not only is this a problem that you are suggesting, but it's actually embedded in the spiritual tradition that we have, it seems to suggest that the spiritual tradition that we have seems to fall into this trap and personify God. The hand of Hashem, Hashem right. got angry. Hashem, Hashem was God. kind. Hashem, it's Hashem. Oh He's our father. Avinu Avrahaman. There all these like things which, which which make it complex. So what I'm doing is I'm standing at the cusp. Of looking into the spiritual system, thinking at this point in time, it's an absolute mystery to me how this thing can actually be. Because it seems to undermine the most fundamental principle that we have to hold of. Do you understand? And that's very very uncomfortable the place to be for, you know, a religious person because it seems to be that the structure that was built is inherently contradictory to its origin, its the initial thoughts, its fundamentals. But I'm I'm happy to question that. And I'm I think we have to question everything else, Ralph. Right? Why was your answer to Ben not never? If you remember what his question was. Well, I mean, with the, cause I don't think that's the answer. Well, oh, cause he has to, uh, like when, when does the end, like the energy that's, that's being, that's being harnessed become manifest? If, like, why, if the answer is, Not never, that means that you're gonna end up in that parable again of like consistently being trapped in seeing, in seeing God how we, how, how we can only see him through human. But on the other hand. If the answer is never, then you could say that's the, that like, that Hashem is this oneness that we're trying to understand. But, but we do have an experience of physical living and we don't want to say, well, well, that's not Hashem. So, so to say never would be wrong as well. Are you starting to get how tricky this whole thing is? It's immensely tricky. Mm. With me. It's it's tricky. I'm just being I'm just being Yeah, it's, it's hard to work through. Okay. Okay, so so now what we have to do is we have to figure um how we're gonna move from this extremely lofty philosophical Grand comprehension of this power that we have no capacity to comprehend to our reason for existence. So, so what do we do here? So what's this all about? So why am I here? So is he want from me? And what's, the, you know, like what's, what's going on there? And I think that's going to be our next, our next stage. But just to sum up... you follow me? I think that's where we have to go next, which, which is, I think, where we're, we're at. We're at that cusp. Um, so I'm ready to... Sum, I'm going to summarize that... I think that's Chapter 2 of the Derech Hashem. I think what we've just learned is Chapter 1 of the Derech Hashem. We're going to be moving on to Chapter 2. So I'm going to, I'm going to sum up the kind of um, attributes or definitions that he says, or well, when you believe... You know, if you, you can't believe in something, you can't describe can't believe in something you can't define. So if I say I believe in God, what do those words mean? What What is that thing God that I believe in? So Ramchal says, for him, it means the following things. It means that his existence is imperative. It has to be. If he would not be, nothing would be. But if there's nothing, he would still be. It's absolutely his existence is independent of anything and everything is dependent upon him. His reality is not complex but simple, which means it's not a number of different things, it's a single thing. Because if there'd be two, so then it wouldn't be all-powerful. It has to be one. And... Everything that is manifest in the world is directly related to Him. And then, once we have... Everything? That, okay. That. That. Once we have that, we've already examined Hashem, but we've examined Him outside of the realm of the world. It just is. That's what He is, And what it is, is just like this, these very kind of lofty descriptions. But, what we're going to go in now, which is when... Everything that we practice and engage in from our human limited perspective is what happens when that grandiose being, as it were, interacts with our experience of reality and how can we use a method of spiritual apparatus to approach it in such a way that we don't undermine those principles, but yet we don't remain isolated and just randomly floating around the world, but develop a capacity to connect. And that's going to be the part point of chapter 2. And chapter 2 begins with a description of what's called, so then, why is there a world? In other words, why is there a world? You've got this creator. He's absolutely perfect. According to our perception, there's nothing he lacks. According to our perception, there's nothing that he doesn't need. And yet now world comes into being. Where did that world come from? So what we're going to have to do, at the minute we start to discuss creation, we're obviously going to be bound by limitations and structures and all that stuff. And so the question I'm going to leave you off with is given this exceptionally lofty definition of the creator and the affirmation that the world does nothing for him because he's beyond even what we can comprehend so then, why is there a world all? Why should there be? In other words, what's the purpose of creation? What is this world about? And obviously, when answering that question, the answer is only ever going to be an incomplete answer, because it will only be the purpose of creation from the perspective of the creation, not the perspective of the creator. Because as we have affirmed in the original point, the Creator has no definition that we can even begin to comprehend. But we can comprehend because He created us. What we can get from the creative experience? Okay, so I'm going to leave you off with that thought. And why don't you? Do, you know, what, what, why, why, why is there a world? Why is there world? I'm working with the spiritual system that they there's a powerful creative being. But why would the creative being activate the creation? Why would he do that? he lacks nothing. Um and therefore what's going on there? And that's I think it's a good place to 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 stop and have right time to ponder.